Welcome to Four Points Online. We are so honored that you're with us here today. And if God has used this ministry to change your life, we want to hear about it. So go to fourpoints.org slash my story and tell us. You know what? It's because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. If you want to give and be a part of what God's doing here at Four Points, go to our website and choose the safe and secure option. Or you can download our app and give there as well. And now we are so excited about hearing a powerful word from God today. Starting next week, we'll be starting Life and Death. And um, I got to tell y'all before I crank up today's message that we're going to be passing out um, we're we'll passing out cards at the end of the service, and I'm telling you, that's a great opportunity to invite people with you because this series is going to mess some people up. I'm just telling you, it's going to be crazy. It's really challenged me as I've studied um, the weight of our words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and those who eat of its fruit. It, 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 I'm telling you, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great, and I hope that y'all will invite your friends. It's not what you think. It's going to be crazy, and so um, starts next week. It's going to lead us up to Easter, and I hope that you'll take that opportunity to invite people. Today, I'm really pumped because it's the last part of our series, His and Hers, and uh, I think we saved the best for last. I think we saved the best one for today, and I'm really pumped up about it. Before I say anything else, if you're getting baptized today, which are we excited about baptism in the house? Come on, somebody. I'm pumped. It's awesome. Uh, as soon as I get done, when they start to sing the last song, if you'll go to the back, you can get changed, and then the, uh, you'll know the instructions from there, because we have smart people that lead that, and I don't have to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. But today, the message, to kind of put a bow on everything we've done, is hashtag relationship goals. If y'all have ever been on social media, some of y'all are like, I don't get on social media, Pastor. That's cool. I'm not asking you to. If you don't, you're probably better off for it. But if you do, you've seen people put relationship goals and they put, you'll see pictures and people put something and then other people will put that. I hope someday we can be like that when we're old people and it's fun. We can have relationship goals. And, but we all have these relationship goals that we want to take part in and we want to do. And we all see things. We see other people that are flowing in their relationships, right? And we're like, man, I hope I can be like that someday. But I just want to summarize what the relationship goal is with one verse and and, and by that one verse, I want to show you and put the ribbon on what we've talked about. So if you haven't been in a single message, a single part, of this, if today's your first time, this can make sense. Because Genesis chapter 2 starts with, with Eden and, and what, what it's supposed to be like. And we talked about that pleasant and delightful. And then we showed you the four rivers in the very first one. And we, and we went through whether we're bricks or bulldozers, building people up or, or tearing people down. And, and men and women, we, we covered all kinds of stuff. But this is really the goal. And I need some people in here to talk to me. Y'all better talk to me on this verse because it's a good one. And that didn't work. So now, now we're going to do it. Genesis 2, 25. The verse right before this says, A man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be, become one flesh. And then it says in verse 25, And the man and his wife were naked, and they were not ashamed. Thank you, George. Only one person. But I feel the Holy Ghost in this place because of that verse. Praise the Lord. So that's all the message is. Y'all just go home. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <clears throat> we could get really off track with that verse if y'all know what I'm talking about. And we could, we could have a lot of fun with it. But I want y'all to know this. That is the goal. And it's not just talking about sex and it's not just being funny. 
The goal is that together, together in our relationships, and for the single people in the room, I want you to know that this absolutely applies to you because you have relationships and that we can be spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, naked and unashamed because here's the truth. The world that we live in, the place that we are today, this is not the case. This is not the case. We are so concerned with what everybody else thinks that it tears us apart. It is the most maddening, frustrating thing in the world to, to wonder what everybody else is thinking, to try to be relevant. I just had a conversation with one of my closest friends, and I said, I believe one of the biggest changes in my life is that I don't feel the weight to be relevant anymore. Because the feeling in the weight of being relevant, being important, feeling good enough and, and making sure and all of this stuff is, is I can't be exposed to the things that I'm not and I'm worried about it. Because I, if everybody finds out what I really am, my gosh, it's going to be a disaster. When it comes to relationships, the people that I'm closest to, and especially my wife, she knows all about me, y'all. I, I can fake it with y'all. And I can make some of y'all believe that I've got it together, but I'm just here to tell y'all at home, she's not impressed. <laughs> because she sees all of me. Huh, that's for real. She sees all of me, like every part, every bit. And I'm talking both physically, but, but emotionally and spiritually, all of me. And I'm not real proud of some of the things that I am sometimes. Are y'all with me? There's a lot of times that I wish I could change things about me or I look at stuff and and it's frustrating. God's original intent was that we could walk around and be unashamed with who we are because everything about us and everything about where we are, everything about the culture that we're creating is delightful and we're unashamed. But something happened and Satan in the picture of a serpent came and offered Eve the fruit. And I'm not preaching on that today, but when they ate of the fruit, this is what the Bible says happened in the very next verse. It says at the moment, at that very moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Here's what's fascinating about that is they were already naked. Are y'all with me? They didn't just get naked, but they suddenly felt shame for what they were. They suddenly felt shame that they looked at themselves and they realized what everybody else saw. They, they looked at themselves. In that case, it was just each other, but they, they realized that they were completely exposed to the world. This is the battle of realness versus fakeness versus what we're trying to do every day in our lives. And it is so maddening because we all battle this in our lives. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking literally that we're not naked and unashamed. We're ashamed of everything. Because we look and we go through. And, we, and I just want to show y'all some of the results. Some of the results of shame in our relationship and what it should be. Shame in our relationships robs trust for the sake of control. It robs trust for the sake of control. I point out every little thing that someone else is doing wrong. And in this case, when it comes to my his and hers relationships, I point out all that she's doing wrong. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When you walk in the house and she's tried to do something for you, but it's not the way that you would have done it. And so you get mad and you point out how she did it wrong and how you would have done it right. That's what shame does. Because what I don't realize is I'm just operating out of my own shame because I'm naked and ashamed. 
And when I'm unashamed, trust is built. Because I realize that I'm putting her needs above my own and she's putting my needs above her own and, and we're building each other up. Shame looks at the appearance of things, not just of yourself. Shame looks at everything. Shame looks at all outward things. Because we realize what we are. But unashamed looks at the heart. That's God's intent. Man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart is what we covered a couple weeks ago. Shame says love is earned. What have you done for me lately? This is the world that we live in, y'all. Can anybody agree with me in here? What have you done for me lately? I know you did this last week, and I know you did this yesterday, but that ain't today. Come on, somebody. I, I need more. I'm upset with you. What have you done today? You have to earn your right. You have to earn your way. I'm not happy with where you are with me. And accuses, constantly accuses, constantly accuses and judges intent. <coughs> and with unashamed love is freely given and believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And in all things, the covenant of love that we have for each other is what we're building off of. Now, here's the tension. And I, <clears throat> we brought something today to kind of use as an illustration. But this is what came to my mind when I read these verses. What you see and how you see it is your worldview. It's how you view the world. And, and God's intent was for you to view it through his lenses, through kingdom lenses, through the way that he made you to view it. But the tension is that you will view it exactly where your health is and where your life is. And if we're naked and ashamed, we'll view it looking at everybody else's flaws because, listen, this is crazy, but this is how we are, because we're embarrassed of our own. So, so I get to the point that I don't even look at myself but I'm looking at your junk. I'm looking at your mess. I'm looking at your life, and I'm pointing out all of the stuff that you are, and it's so easy for me to do. But on the flip side, what we do, and I've even heard this at home, y'all, at, at people's homes, and, and talking in marriage counseling over and over, I hear people say stuff like this. I don't even want them to see me, and so if we're intimate, I want the lights off. This is sort of intended to be a joke and sort of not, but what? Like, that's part of the fun, right? I don't just want candlelight. I mean, let's go. I'm just saying. I know I'm putting it all out there, but we're naked and unashamed today, so we're just going to say it. But I know also that the feeling is I'm, I'm embarrassed. And, and this is the crazy thing. Y'all have heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Isn't it amazing that the people that we're closest to are who we feel contempt with, who we feel disgusted by, who we look at and who we should feel the most pleasure from. And I'm not talking just intimacy. I'm talking in every area of our life. But most likely, a lot of you came in here today and you feel that disgusting feeling because you look at them and you say, oh my gosh, they think they're so good, but if they just knew. And it's because we see all the flaws in everybody else and we choose to see everything. And so here's what Adam and Eve did. <clears throat> because they realized their nakedness, they decided to cover themselves. And I feel like that's a lot of what we do. So I brought my ski clothes today. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I went to Canada. I told y'all this already, but I'm not going to put these on because it'd be crazy. And they got the shine on them, so I look like Space Pants, MC Hammer, eat your heart out. Too legit to quit. But <laughs> young people, don't worry about it. Just look it up. When, when I go skiing, and I love it. 
If it's about 30 degrees, <clears throat> I'm not too concerned about the cold because I can stay warm. I'm very warm-blooded. I hate the hot, y'all. I was not built for a hunted, okay? I'm just telling y'all right now. But by 30, I'm good. I walk outside in my shorts and T-shirt all the time, and Leah freaks out when it's cold out. She's like, it's so cold, I can't believe you do that. I'm like, it feels good to me. But when we went this time, it was 30 below. And I'm just going to tell y'all something. I don't like that. That is 60 degrees. I'm real good at math. That is 60 degrees colder than 30. And it was real cold. I'm talking about real, real, real stinking cold. And so we wore extra layers. And so these are my ski pants, and they're crazy warm. I can't even explain why. <clears throat> but no matter how cold it is, they're crazy warm. And then I've got my awesome ski jacket. I'm sponsored by Columbia, apparently. So we've got this going. But I wear other layers with it and there's a layer that I wear underneath and then another layer and then another layer but then this is where it gets good I did this for some of y'all in here where is he but when I'm going through skiing where's my mask when I'm actually skiing there is nothing exposed y'all I'm talking about I did it backwards you got to do this guy first but I'm going to do it but there is no skin whatsoever exposed because then I put my hat on top and then I've got my gloves and I want to make sure that there is not one thing exposed. Because when it's that cold, I got to get that off. I can't breathe. I'm on fire. But, but when it's that cold, you want to make sure that nothing is exposed. And so you just keep putting layers on. You just keep putting layers on. And I feel like that's exactly how we are in our lives. If the goal is naked and unashamed, what shame does is robs me of being free. And so I walk around and see everybody and think, I better put another layer on or they'll see me. I better put another layer on or they'll see me. I, better, I can't have one thing exposed or they might see the flaws in me. Do you know that I'm okay with being flawed? Because God didn't create me to be perfect. He created me in his likeness. And he didn't create me to be the savior of the world. He sent his son to be the savior of the world. And when I try to be everybody's savior, what I actually do is put a weight on them and I shame them. And, and, and this is the reality of, of, of where we live, y'all. I notice everybody else's flaws because I think I've got all mine covered. It's not that I think I've got it good. I think I've got all mine covered because I don't have even the tiniest part of my face exposed. And everybody in the world still sees my flaws is what's fascinating, except for me. I think I can pass by the mirror and go, I got it covered, praise God. When the only one that ever wanted to be your covering was the Lord Jesus and we don't let him. See, we think that salvation is walking in freedom every day but that's not walking in freedom every day. It's a choice every day whether or, not, whether or not I walk in freedom. And I feel like if we didn't operate in shame like we do, the world would see love and life-giving and hope because God never intended for us to be hopeless. And we put off the culture of not delightful and pleasant and not unity and not everything else. But we think we're doing the right thing because we're pointing out everybody else's flaws. You're naked. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're naked. How dare you? Look at your junk. Look at what's going on. I can't believe this is going on. And we don't even realize how naked we are. 
because our eyes have decided to look out and we think we have everything else covered. Y'all, I'm telling you, I, I believe some people in here know what I'm talking about. And it's the most maddening, frustrating cycle that we can possibly be on. And you know if you've been there this week because this is what your week's been like. And I've been there some this week. I don't need you to say amen right now. I've been there some this week. <clears throat> because in days that I'm operating with my eyes wide open, and not with the Lord's eyes, but with my own, I point out everything that everybody else is doing wrong. I'm impossible to live with. I'm impossible to work with. I'm impossible to please because there's no end to this. And this is what comes to my mind. This is what comes to my mind, y'all, with this. is a story in the Bible in 2 Samuel 6, and I'm really just going to summarize it for the sake of time, but I encourage y'all to go back and read it. And the story is out of the house of Obed-Edom, and I just wanted to say it because it's a fun name to say, out of the house of Obed-Edom, the Ark of the Covenant is coming back to the most holy place in God's city, on Mount Zion, in Jerusalem. It's coming back. And David is ecstatic, excited, over the top, overwhelmed, pumped up, and he's celebrating. And they do these things along the way. It says every six steps, every six steps, this was a long journey, every six steps, they made a sacrifice. Now that's crazy, and we could really have a whole message right there. But, but it was the over-the-top excitement of when you're in the presence of God, you're not worried about everything else. And then, and then, when he got it back into the house of David and into the place where it should have been, the Bible says that David stripped down to his tunic. Now let me help you understand what that is. That ain't nothing. That's your tidy whities everybody. All right? And he's just dancing before the Lord, and he's not worried about nobody else. He's not looking at you. He's not focusing on what you're doing wrong, and he's not focusing on what he's doing wrong. He's free before the Lord. And that's a whole message, too, about worship, about when we worship unhindered. We're not worried about our friend next to us. We're not worried that no one else is raising their hands and getting after it in worship. We're just all in with God. We're ready for everybody to get after it, but we're not trying to make everybody get after it because we know that we are the only ones that can change me. I'm only responsible for me. And so I'm looking to him. And I'm realizing that even though I'm full of dirt and full of junk and full of things that I should, naturally speaking, be ashamed of, God is not ashamed of me. As a matter of fact, God says shame off of you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe you. I believe in you, excuse me, because I've got a plan for you. It's not my plan. It's his plan. And when I start going God's way, I start looking down going, if they think I'm crazy, I don't care because I'm naked and unashamed. And this is the way I want to live my life. This is the way I can be a better husband and a better father and a better man and a better world changer that God created me to be. Not by my power and not by my strength, but by his spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's how this can happen. And so here's what happens in the story. David gets back to the city. <clears throat> my voice is killing me, y'all. <clears throat> David gets back to the city. And his wife, who's also Saul's son, the Bible says is disgusted at the way he looks. Isn't it amazing that the person that we marry, when we're walking in shame, can disgust us? We can look down and go, ugh, I don't even want them to talk to me. I don't even want them to look at me. And then here's what verse 16 says, is the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, who was his wife, but also the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David dancing and 
just his undies before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. And there's a, there's a conversation that goes back and forth that I encourage you to read. And it's fascinating to watch the difference between shame and unashamed. To watch the difference between naked and ashamed and naked and unashamed. She was so concerned that the Joneses would think that David has lost his mind, that she was mad at him. And that's how so many of us get. When someone else God blesses in their life and some, someone else has something good happen, we've all found ourselves looking at them and going, why did they deserve that? I ain't happy with them, so we better buy it. We better get it. We better make sure that we can keep up with them. And because we're constantly looking out with our own lenses, we're frustrated and overwhelmed. And we build ourselves jail cells constantly. And we put ourselves in some ski clothes and make sure that not one thing is exposed so that everybody thinks that we're good enough, so that we're relevant, so that we're good. Whatever it is in your life, because it's individually unique to every person, whatever the shame is that you found, whatever the shame is that you walk in, we always try to cover it, naturally speaking, because we think that we can hide. And she despised him in her heart for various reasons, but one of them were which she was just embarrassed of him. And I want you to see the result, because I believe this is where most of the church today, capital C, not just four points, most of the individuals that would hear this message find themselves. It says in verse 23 that Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children until the day of her death. She was buried. She was buried. I'm not talking physical barrenness as, as a result of this because I know there's some people that probably are listening to this that have experienced that or are experiencing that. I'm talking spiritually speaking. <clears throat> we are barren in our lives because remember back, God's call for your life is to be fruitful and multiply. You were made in his image, Genesis 1, 26 and 7. And verse 28 says, now be fruitful and multiply. Increase, increase after what I've done in you. You were made in my image. Now be fruitful and multiply. But when I'm constantly worried about what everybody else thinks, I despise the one that I'm called to. I'm naked and ashamed. I cover every part of me to make sure that no one can see my flaws and I point out all of yours. And it's a maddening cycle. And the result of that is the only thing I reproduce is hate. The only thing I reproduce is envy and jealousy. The only thing I reproduce is that gossip pool that we always sit around and hear and go, well, why are they always doing that? Well, why am I taking part in it? And it's a maddening cycle. I found this interesting in the Bible what the word barren means because shame leads to spiritual barrenness. The word barren in the Bible is literally the picture of the grave. It's the picture of a tomb that I've found myself in. And it's the word oppression or chains or never satisfied. Never satisfied. I feel like we should sing the song, I can't get no satisfaction up in this mug because that's the way that many of our marriages feel, aren't they? Can anybody talk to me? I know it's heavy, but it's about to get good. I know it feels heavy. But if you could be honest with yourself today, you'd probably look at me and say, the reality is no matter what she does for me, I never really feel satisfied. No matter what he does for me, I never really feel satisfied. No matter if I get a raise at work, I never really feel satisfied. I just feel empty. It feels like it's never enough. Here's the truth, it never will be. It never is. 
Because shame is an empty tomb that is barren and fruitless and is so miserable that we live in because the intention is that we can be naked and unashamed. And this is a verse that I need to explain, but I think it's so powerful because I think it's the picture of this, y'all. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. And it's two verses. The wisest man that ever lived. I want to give you a tiny bit of background to this man for just a second to help you understand that this man, if anybody, has the right to speak to us in this. This man was the richest man to ever live. The Bible says the wisest man to ever live. He had over $5 billion in his treasury just in gold. That's a lot. Are y'all with me? $5 billion. Scrooge McDuck swimming through his gold is what I'm talking about. Like that dude had money. And he had women and he had everything you can imagine. And the book of Ecclesiastes is fascinating because it's his book and he's telling us everything is miserable. Everything is meaningless. Nothing is worth it. And then this is how he says it in Proverbs chapter 30. The leech has two suckers. More and more. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I need more. There are three things that are never satisfied. He said no four that's never enough. There's four things that, that can never be satisfied. And he said it's the grave and the barren womb, and the thirsty desert, and the blazing fire. And they make sense, and I'm not going to break them all down, that the desert can never be satisfied with enough water, that the fire that's blazing can never be satisfied in how much it burns. It has an innate desire that never stops, that wants to burn and wants to burn, and until it's put out, it's just going to keep burning. The grave never gets full. It keeps wanting bodies. It never gets full, and the barren womb is never satisfied and is always barren, and that is the way that shame is. Shame makes me become the leech that says more, more. It's about me. It's about my life. I need you to do for me. I'm not worried about what I do. I'm worried about what you do for me. <clears throat> and we can know what God's plan is for our life all we want. But the reality is, when we wake up in the morning, quote, on the wrong side of the bed, I don't even know what that means because there's only one side of the bed I sleep on. But when we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, we find ourselves looking saying, I need you to do more. I'm not happy because y'all haven't done for me. Here's the reality. I'm naked and ashamed. I've decided to look with my eyes and be naked and ashamed. I decide to point out all her flaws. She is disgusting in my eyes when I'm like this. My wife is absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, and I absolutely love this woman. She fulfills me in every need, in every area of my life, and she's the greatest blessing that the Lord has ever given me. And yet, and yet, and yet I find myself pointing out her flaws when I'm naked and ashamed. I find myself looking at her going, <clears throat> why did you do it that way? There's even a tone when I'm naked and ashamed that puts off death, that puts off hurt, that puts off hopelessness. And I put a weight on people that I was never intended to do. And then we say things like this. But why won't they just? But if she would just. But if they would just. And this is the aha moment that I've had in my own life, y'all. Is there's never enough of the just. There's never enough change. And I will always point out everybody else's flaws. If I'm living outside of God's plan for my life, which is freedom, which is hope, 
which is righteousness, which, which means right standing with God, which is not something I can earn or do. It's something I decide to walk in because it's what he's done in me and for me. How? Because all those times that I try to cover myself, I can think back and remember that he's my covering. That the blood that Jesus shed was not shed just so I could get out of hell free and walk and do my own thing. But he bought me with a price. And that price that he paid was to cover all of that shame, to cover all of that past, to cover all of those insecurities, to cover all those things that I don't want you to find out about me. Because if you do, I might have to. And he said, no, you're not those things anymore. There may be people that point those things out about you, but you get to walk in freedom, sir. You get to walk in freedom, ma'am. And every person that's around you gets to experience new life because they experience your life. And when they experience your life, who is naked and not ashamed, they experience something that's a little different. And they go, I don't know what it is about her, but there's an aroma, there's a fragrance that comes off of her that I want. There's there's, There's something that is beautiful and amazing, and I'm not talking about her physical features. I'm talking about what's inside of her that's kind and loving and tender. I wish I had that. I don't know what it is that they have in their water over there, but I want that at my house. And this is what I think the response is, y'all. One verse, and we're done. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. Everybody say repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I think the word repent is the most misunderstood word in the Bible, possibly. Because the word repent does not mean I am sorry. And the word repent does not mean to turn. That is the result of repentance, is we turn. The word repent literally means this in the Greek. It literally means to change my mind. To change my mind. Pastor Mark, what's changed in your life? Why are things better in your life? Why is your home better in my life? I changed my mind. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I changed my mind. I stopped trying to focus on putting clothes on her because I was embarrassed of her or I was embarrassed of you or I was trying to change you and I decided that I was the problem in my life. That all of the things, no matter what you do to me, it's on me whether or not I will do it, whether or not I will respond to it. Offense is a choice. And I changed my mind. I changed my mind through looking at him, the author and the perfecter of my faith, who with the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and is seated on God's right hand today. I changed my mind. I felt the sorrow of my sin. I felt the weight of my sin. I felt that, but it was the Lord. It was the Holy Spirit pulling me to himself. And through that, I didn't just kneel down and say, my bad, I'm sorry. That's confession and that's good. But repentance is today I'm standing up and I'm changing my mind. I'm giving him my heart. I'm walking with him and I'm not going to be what I was. I've made the decision as a covenant before God that I'm not trying to change you and I'm not trying to impress you. That the Lord will continuously every day change my mind so it can be more like his mind. Because my ways are not like his ways. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I want his mind. I want his eyes. I want to be naked and unashamed. But the only way that I do that It's not if I walk out of here and say, I like that today. I want to do something like that. 
But it's to make my mind up. Proverbs, Solomon said it this way, whatsoever a man thinks in his heart, that he will also be. What I want to think in my heart is a man after God's own heart. I want God to point out to me the flaws in my own life and I'll turn to him. I will turn through repentance. But it doesn't mean to turn. It's what happens when I change my mind. And here's what we need in this room, y'all. We need some individuals. Individuals now. I'm not talking to married couples. I'm talking to the man of God in the house. To consider where he is. To consider all the clothes that he's put on and how much he's covered and said, what is it, God, that I need to take off so that you can cover me? Because I've tried to cover myself to make sure I'm good enough, but you want to cover me today in Jesus' name. What is it in my own life, God, that you want to change? Because I'll change my mind to be with your mind. I'll go your way. I'll do whatever you've called me to do. I'll change my mind. I'll change my mind. And so this is the response. Your response is to repent and then walk in freedom. To change your mind. And then to walk in the glorious freedom that Jesus Christ offers every single person. That we can be what our relationship goals are, but not by changing them, but by letting the Lord Jesus change us. And it starts in our hearts and in our minds. You will never, ever, ever, ever change your spouse. And it will lead to a life of pointing out all of their stuff and something that can never be, ever, ever, ever be fulfilled. And we will live lives of spiritual barrenness and be frustrated saying, I was trying to tell her. She doesn't need you to tell her. She needs you to be the man of God that repents and has your mind changed so you walk in freedom. Ma'am, he doesn't need you to change him no matter how bad off he is. He needs, he needs you to walk with the Lord Jesus and change your mind. And even if he is not, you can be naked and unashamed today before the Lord. You can dance in the freedom of Jesus Christ. But that means that in the best way I know how, I tell Jesus every morning, I'm going to walk with you. I don't know what it means. I don't know where we're going, but I'm going to walk with you. I'm not worried about what they think. I'm worried about what you think, and I'm going to walk with you. And for some people, that means for the very first time, you give your heart and life to Jesus by simply saying this, I confess that you're the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead after you died on the cross, and I choose to follow you today. That is what salvation is. It is not about a prayer. It is about a decision of your heart and your mind. Change your mind. You will never be good enough, but immediately you can be good enough in the Lord Jesus. Change your mind. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? <clears throat> With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to pray this prayer to yourself. Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What would you have me do? Pastor Mark, I feel like you're speaking straight to me. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I feel like you're speaking straight to me. And the mindset change that I need Hit straight to my heart. I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior and walk in freedom today. I don't want to manipulate you, but I believe with all my heart that this is people in this room. And if this is you, here's all I'm asking you to do. I want you to throw your hand up as high as you can and say, that's me. I choose to walk in freedom by trusting Jesus, confessing He's my Lord, 
and walking with him today. I've never done that before, but today is the day of salvation for me. If you feel the, the Lord pulling on your heart, don't you let anything hold you back. You throw your hand up right now. One, two, three. Throw it up wherever you are in the room. Come on, as high as you can. I believe there's some people in here that you would say, that's me. Throw your hand up as high as you can and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. I'm going to do a different response. This is really a couple's response. But I'm not asking you to grab the hand of anybody and drag them with you because this is an individual thing that will shift your home and shift your lives. But I'm going to ask you to make this your aisle, to make this your altar. If you know that you need to change your mind. If the Lord's not speaking to you, I'm asking you to stay in your seat. But when you prayed and said, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? If the Lord's talking to you, I want you to stand up to your feet right now. Stand up to your feet right now all over the room. I point out people's flaws. You are talking to me. I feel like if there was no one else in the room, this is for me. And I know that I need my mind changed. I know that this is for me. I just want you to stand to your feet right now. And I want you to respond by just coming down here. Just start walking. And on the sides, I just want you to make this. Come on. Just make this your altar. There's people coming right now. And I want to pray over you. If you're supposed to get baptized, now's a good time for you to sneak out. But I just want to pray over you right now. And we're going to sing. God, it is so hard to not look at everybody else's flaws and point out what everybody else is doing wrong. But God, I know what's changed in me is not that I can change anybody else, but I see that you want me to walk in freedom and in new life and in hope and in forgiveness and in grace. What a blessing it is, Lord, to have the grace of the Lord Jesus cover my sin, cover my shame. Lord, there's so many things about my life that I'm embarrassed of, but you don't say shame on you. You say shame off you. And I'm so thankful for your love and for your covering and for your grace. Lord, I've changed my mind. And because of that, you have turned me in the other direction. And I'm grateful. And God, I just pray a blessing over every person in this room and every person that's kneeling down here that feels the pull of your spirit to change. God, give them the grace Give them the strength to change their minds and hearts every day to be aligned with you. We love you, Jesus. And we're thankful for freedom and that we can have our relationship goals met, that we can be naked and unashamed together, and it can be so good and so free. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Will y'all stand and sing with us?